Thank you, Evan and team. That was, that was great. You all sang strong. Uh, normally we have words up there, but uh, you're either faking it or you know it, so that, that was great. Or I was just hearing myself. I was sounding pretty good, so, um, well, that's my opinion. Uh, you know, John asked me to, to share, uh, if you don't know, John and Halsey are, oh, need to release, the kids can be released for uh, kids' worship. Um, Halsey's mom passed away about this time last year, and um, so John really wanted to be able to take her away and, and for them to have some, some great time together. So I know we're praying for them, and we're blessed to have them, and so uh, this is a special time for them to, to be together. Um, but John asked me to come, and, and, and as a way to introduce myself, I know I've met many of you. Uh, I preached once before, but it was when the funeral was happening in Louisiana, and there was a, a lot of you were gone, and then uh, we had a, a meeting where Susan and I came and, and shared with you all, so, uh, but a lot of you I haven't met, and so I wanted a, a chance to introduce myself and maybe share a little bit of my heart um, for White Oak and, and why uh, we were excited about coming here. And uh, uh, you know, my, my story, uh, briefly, I, I grew up in California. Um, I grew up with parents who knew and loved Jesus, uh, uh, and so I came to faith a, as a child, uh, fairly early, nine years old. Uh, during junior high, I, I really began to pursue Christ. Uh, even going into college, I, I began to really sense a call to ministry, and so I came to the natural thing that Baptist kids do. We went, uh, came to Baylor from California, met my wife uh, the week before school started, uh, once she broke up with her boyfriend, we were, who was a good friend of mine, we were dating within two days, and uh, it was all good, but uh, you know, the rest is history. So we have been married for quite a few years, have five kids that uh, are amazing. My, I was telling folks right here, with their, their precious little two-year-old, my, my daughter is now 17, and so these years have flown by. Uh, and then she has four little brothers who aren't so little anymore, uh, but we are... Uh, you know, we, over these years, I've, I've been involved with ch- lots of d- churches, church planting, uh, been involved with helping some nonprofits in the city, uh, one particular mission, Houston, helped get that started, which really had a vision for seeing God do something significant in the city. And, so, so, and then since then, I've been involved with church planting, some business, uh, business, again, kind of built around this idea of seeing the kingdom of God expanded. Uh, and so my heart has been for this city for a lot of years now, since the early 90s. We've lived here and have loved Houston and have been a part of seeing God do some significant things, but longing for him to do more. Um, and part of what happened in my journey, I, again, growing up in the church, going to seminary, kind of, kind of doing, I got a finance degree from Baylor, but then I went to Southwestern Seminary, got a MDiv there, then came and took over a three-year-old church plant in the early 90s when Bruce Wesley was here uh, pastoring and uh, just began that journey. But something happened toward the end of the 90s. God was working in the city, among the church, not just my church, but among the church. And he was really stirring spiritual leaders, pastors and ministry leaders in the city to to begin to ask the question, what would it take for God to come to Houston and see the city transformed? And I told uh, one group, I can't remember which conversation it was I had, but uh, it was at that time John Bassanio was, was retiring and 
uh, he, he had a quote where he said, you know, uh, I've been pastoring this city, I can't remember if it was 20 or 30 years, but he goes, my biggest regret is that the city is in worse condition today than it was when I began. And he goes, man, I built one of the really large churches. I have, God allowed me to be a part of seeing one of the real large churches in the nation, but the city's in worse shape today. And he began to look at, you know, whether it was uh, poverty, uh, broken families, addiction, you know, you go down the list of what we would say, this, this is not what God wants. You know, if his kingdom came, what's happening in our city is not what he'd want to see happen. And so that just began to stir. I mean, that was part of it. But people's hearts were stirred. And, and we began to hear stories from all over the world of where God was transforming whole nations and whole people groups and cities. And, and, and we, like you, would say, man, we want God to come and do that here in our city. And... Uh, and so we began to pray together, and uh, there were pastor prayer summits and that sort of thing. And, and out of that, Mission Houston was birthed. Um, I left my first church to, to, to jump on board with that, and, and uh, my life has never been the same. Not necessarily easy, <laughs> but it's been changed. And, and part of what happened was just my whole paradigm of, of how I saw the church and, and what God longed to do in my city was changed. Um, I've told a story to kind of round this for, for years, and, um, and my kids have heard it many times, but for me, it's that picture. When, when Hannah was just a little girl, and she started uh, speaking, she'd been given this stuffed animal, and uh, it was a penguin, right? But when she looked at this animal, she always called it a duck. I mean, always. So I remember the particular day, we were sitting down, eating one meal, I don't remember what it was, but we were eating a meal, she had a Noah's Ark plate, and she was going around telling the names of the animals, and she came to the penguin, and know what she called it? She called it a penguin. She knew what it was, so I was excited. I went upstairs, I grabbed her stuffed animal, I brought it down, and uh, I showed it to her. I go, Hannah, well, I, I pointed to the plate again, I went through all the animals, make sure she remembered. She said penguin, she, and she was supposed to say penguin, and then I held up the penguin. What'd she say? duck yeah it didn't matter that it looked like a penguin or even if it smelled like a penguin or walked like a penguin Hannah saw that she saw a duck and that's how it is in our lives so often you know we see through a lens right our paradigm and it's shaped by our experience and what we know that's what it is and, and so often when we think about the church um, we think maybe the church is just a building you know we Go to church. Or, or we, we think about, you know, the church is just kind of being our religion. This is kind of thing out there. But when you go to the scriptures, God gives this picture of the church that, that is just so exciting. And part of what has stirred my heart, you know, as I think about White Oak, and, and part of what got me excited as we began to think, since God was leading us back in kind of some pastoral type of role, and I met John, and I liked him instantly. i just so impressed with him and his his heart, his maturity, his passion, his giftings. Uh, I thought, man, this is a guy I'd love to come work with. And, and then I began to hear the story of White Oak. And I, I love that you have history. I love looking across this room and there is diversity. My last church I was a pastor at was very, all very, very, very young. It was a large church, but I was the old guy in the church, one of the older guys. And, and uh, you know, having the, even the... Uh, age differences and, and, 
ethnicity differences, just the diversity that we have in this place is something that is beautiful. I get excited the fact that we have history and, and we know the history. And John put on the website, I imagine, you know, he talked about we have a history that involves, there, there have been at times church splits, there's been pastor failures. That's the story of a lot of churches, right? We don't have to hide from it. We can embrace it and say, man, that is part of our history. But I love it because he talks about, but God is doing something new, right? I, I believe God is doing something new, and I, I believe God can do something significant. When I came and we, we shared and we walked around and looked at this facility, and then we began to meet you. I, I told some of you, Susan came, and we, uh, since I left Ecclesia, we've been at a, a pretty good-sized church down in our area, and um, I've been doing a lot of other work and ministry around the city, and so we hadn't really gotten super involved there, but you know, she said, we, she, the first Sunday we came here and I preached, or no, it was the Sunday before I preached, we, we came just visited, uh, she said, man, we've talked to more people here on this, this day than we have at a year and a half in our other church. There's something beautiful that God is doing here. There is a love that we have for each other that is real. And so I, I think you've got the, 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 the base to see God do something beautiful. And we'll talk more about that today. But in the scriptures, the word for church in the Greek is ekklesia. It is ekklesia. It's used in over 115 times in the New Testament. And the, and the word comes from two Greek words. Ek, E-C-C, which means out. And then kaleo, which means call. So by definition, the word means literally the called out ones. And part of the, 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 the shift I want us to make when we think about the church, White Oak is part of the church, right? We are part of the church. We are a congregation in the church. We are part of something beyond just us. Now, when I come here, I get excited about what God can do here. But I tell you what I get real excited about is what God could do and allow us to be a part of it, to be a significant part of what God longs to do in this city to be a significant part of what God might want to do in the Middle East or in Africa, but that we could be a part of the story of God, of what he's doing around the world. It excites me. We are a part of a movement. God is on the move, and it is this amazing adventure that he invites us to join him in. And part of the shift begins when we think and understand that we are the church, we are the ecclesia, that literally we have a calling on our life. You know, when I was just getting into the ministry, we used to use this term, I, I felt called to the ministry, which I don't know where we got that. Totally, just like, if you're called to be a full-time pastor, you were called. The reality is we are all called, right? We are all, we all have been called out. If you know and love Jesus, if you are part of the ecclesia, you are literally the called out ones. Um, in Matthew 16, 18 through 19, Jesus uses this word, ecclesia, and it, it's at this place where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people to say that I am? And you remember what Peter said? Peter said, you know, you know Jesus said, I'm John the Baptist, I'm Elijah, and Peter said, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus responds in this way, I think it should be up there. Um, he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But you look at that passage. Is it not working today? Maybe it's not. Can we get down there? Okay. If you listen to that passage, it's okay. Um, it says several things about ecclesia, about us as the called out ones. First one is that Jesus is the one who established the ecclesia, and it is his. He says literally, my ecclesia, my church. We belong to him. We are the called out ones, and we belong to him. See, part of what we have been called out to is, is outside this world system. And we have been called to follow a king, right? And to be a part of seeing his kingdom come, his kingdom expanded. It is his. The second thing you see here is that the ecclesia is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. We are his. And it's built on that revelation. That it's not saying, Peter, the church is going to be built on you. But it's built on his declaration that Jesus, you're not just a good man, you're not just a great teacher, we're not just your followers, but you are the king. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. The third thing we see here is that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the ecclesia. I like that picture. Now, talking about paradigms, I remember growing up and hearing that, and it's like, it was always, I always pictured this idea that more like, we're the kingdom of God, and we got this wall around us, and uh, and, and Hades and hell and, and the spiritual darkness, the kingdom of darkness is, is coming against us, you know, and we're getting our tails kicked sometimes and we're winning sometimes, but we are, we're kind of cuddled up here and, and we're trying to be protective and we're, we're staying together and, and we're being attacked. But when you look at that, what, what's the picture? It's saying the gates of Hades, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. It is this picture that the kingdom of God is advancing. And what do we mean by the kingdom? I, I've just used a simple definition over the years. It's the kingdom of God is about his reign or rule. It's where he wants, what he wants done is done. So if you look in your life and you wonder, you begin to look, what does God want to do in your life? That's his kingdom. When his will is done in your life, his kingdom has come. So when Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. He, he was just, it was the same thing, your kingdom, your will. So when we pray for his kingdom to come to our lives, if you're on that prayer list with uh, Joe Stone sends out, I, I love that, and, and you see a need and we pray for these things. We're saying, God, your kingdom come. You, Lord, bring healing here. Set this person free. Do this, do that, Lord. We're praying for his kingdom to come. And so it's this idea that we can win. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. And then the fourth thing we see here is that the ecclesia contains the keys to the kingdom, which gives them the power to unlock and unlock things on the earth. So the ecclesia, the church, is given the, kings of the king, keys of the kingdom. And so we are in part, we are working with God to see his kingdom come. So the Ecclesia stresses this idea as a group of people called out for a special purpose. We play a significant part in seeing the kingdom of God come to our city. And so what we see about the church is that the church, we are a missional people. That we are on 
mission. And so as we begin to think, what is Wyco's calling? We, we are on mission. We are part of seeing God's kingdom come to this congregation and, and outside this congregation, as you walk out these doors, you begin to look around and you see those apartments and you drive home or you go to work. It's, it's beginning to see and understand that we are the church. We are called out ones. We are to be a part of seeing God's kingdom come. We're to go. We are sent people to go. You know, when I think about motherhood, it's a calling, right? Those of you who are mothers, it is a calling. Now, it is a calling that has been thrust upon you biologically, right? We know so much and understand it. It's amazing to watch um, that whole cycle of uh, from conception to birth and beginning to know and understand the, the miracle and the mystery of life. And when you become expecting as a mother there's a miracle right that has happened inside of you we, we can try to explain it biologically and, and all that stuff but it is a miracle how God has designed the whole thing but there's also this supernatural side of it of this love that comes out right all of a sudden you when you have this baby and you hold this baby in your arms there is this supernatural miraculous love that is inexplainable. And it's something that you have, right? And you receive it. And then you begin to give it away. And, and it's that love that drives moms to, like, sacrifice, sleep, their sanity, <laughs> in order to love for their kids, right? Because they love them, this love that overflows. And it is that love that we're going to see that God gives us that transforms everything. When our Christianity and our faith is simply head knowledge, when it's religion, you know, we are never motivated to live out this called out life that we're, we're going to talk a little bit about today. But when we have been touched by the love of God and, and we respond to what Jesus said when he said, man, what are the greatest commandments? To love God well, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. When that becomes the mark of our life, uh, we are able to see God do incredible things. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 9, and I think we'll, oh, not, maybe we won't have it on the screen. Uh, but, uh, and I'm going to read out of the message translation. And uh, this is one of those passages probably 10 years ago that God hit me. And it's when the message translation comes out with, I, I spend most of my time in the ESV now. Uh, I go through stages. But during that season, I, the message, it was such a, Eugene Peterson wrote it. He wrote it over a bunch of years to his church. I think he preached through it. And it is a beautiful translation of the scriptures. That just, for me, just often brings new light. And, and when I read this passage, uh, beginning in, in Matthew chapter 9, um, it, it just, it, it changed me. So I just want to walk through this and, and for us to have a, just a few thoughts from this for, for us today. But in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36, we read, that Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. And he taught in their meeting places. He reported kingdom news and he healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. 
So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. And we're going to refer back to the first part of chapter 9. But Jesus literally, I mean, he's traveling from city to city, from town to town. And people are flocking to Jesus. Because when they found Jesus, they found someone who loved them unconditionally. So the crowds were drawn to him, and he had the ability to change their lives, literally. Through him, the kingdom of God came in very practical ways to people, right? I mean, when they came near him, we're going to talk about a few of those in the earlier parts of chapter 9. Their lives were changed. And so Jesus went through these towns. It says that he healed every sickness, every disease. I love that picture. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. But the thing that really caught my attention, it says when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. You know, when we wonder what the heart of God is, we know that we can look at Jesus and we say, that's the heart of God, right? And when you look at Jesus and he looks out over people's lives and he knows their stories. He looked at them and it just wasn't a physical thing. He knew their hearts. And when he saw their bruised hearts, their broken lives, what was his response? What happened to him? It literally broke his heart. He wanted more for them. You know, when I think about what it means for us to be the called out ones, I think, first of all, we must learn to live with our eyes and our hearts wide open, full of love. We've got to learn to live with our eyes open and to see. To be able to look around and to see, and to see people. When I was thinking about this, I remember the scripture. You remember the scripture where Jesus describes the different soils of a person's heart? And one of them, he, he, he uses this uh, illustration of seed being put on different types of soil. You know, some fell on the hard ground and, uh, and some fell on, along the path and different things. You know, the seed was picked up or it dried up, died, whatever. It didn't work in those places. But one of the seeds fell among thorns and grasses. Do you remember that? And the scripture, the story goes that the, 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 um, the weeds and the thorns literally overpower the plant and it dies or it chokes it out. So it can't become fruitful. And Jesus later on when he's explaining to his disciples what this means. He says, man, the worries of life, right? The pursuit of riches. Things of the world can choke out the word of God. I think sometimes that's what happens. That's what happens to me. It's amazing when I am am walking closely to the Lord. and, And I'm experiencing his love and his goodness and his provision. It's like it makes my heart tender. And I'm able to see, I think, more with his eyes. And my my heart is open to really love people. And I begin to believe and know because I've experienced it. I'm experiencing my life. begin to believe and and even to see what God longs to do in people's lives. And it changes everything. But man, I have been through too many seasons of my life where I am struggling. I am worried. Or I'm, I'm on this sidetrack longing for these things that are going to make me happy. And, and it becomes so self-focused that I have no room to see outside of myself. So I think part of what Jesus, when he, when he calls us to be a set-apart people, and, and what he's going to describe here is this idea that uh, to follow him, 
We have to be a people who begin to open our eyes and our hearts and see. When Jesus looked out over the crowds of people, his heart broke because he saw them. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he continues, he says, What a huge harvest. He said to his disciples, How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. So when he looked at the situation, he saw these bruised and broken lives. The Son of God said, man, this task is huge. I need an army to do this with. And he said, we need to pray. Let's pray for harvest hands. A second thing I would say that I truly believe is that prayer is the thing that unlocks the power of the kingdom in our lives and in our world. God has chosen to work through prayer. And I do not, I I don't believe that God's will is always done. I think we can miss out on God's will when we don't pray. And I think he has chosen to use prayer to activate the expansion of his kingdom in our world. And if we don't pray, we will miss out on what he does in our lives and what he longs to do in our city, in your neighborhood, in your home in your lives. I mean, God's just chosen prayer. And I love it. I mean, the first two weeks I've been here, people have come up and talked to me about prayer. About John, man, we need to open again a prayer room. We used to have a prayer room. We need a prayer room, man. We need to go to 24-hour prayer. You know, start, we've got a, a group of people that are 70 people right now that are praying on a, almost a daily basis over the needs that are happening in the life of the church and in the lives of people, other people that we know. I mean, Prayer is already happening, which I I love. God wants even more of it. But prayer changes. It unlocks God's power to work in our lives and through our lives. In Matthew 10, 1 through 4, he continues. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. And Jesus called, called 12 of his followers and sent them into the right fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. And so Jesus, literally, when they, he said, we prayed, and no sooner had he prayed, it was answered. I mean, God answers prayer, right? And then it says that uh, he called out the 12. And he gave them, literally, the same power that he has, he gave them to do the same sort of things. See, God has given us the opportunity. And we are called out to participate with God, and seeing the impossible happen in people's lives. I believe that. I've seen it. I want to see it more. But truth is, as we pray, God is going to unleash some stuff in us, and in, our, in this church, in this congregation, and in this city, when we pray. And we can be specific. When we see places where it is not God's will, in broken relationships or situations, When it is not God's will, he gives us an invitation to be involved in seeing him do what he wants to do. Is is he always going to do it? No. Is he always going to heal? No. But he is going to accomplish his will when we pray. Sometimes the things we pray about, the answer is no. And that's part of his will or not yet. We know that, right? It's sometimes not. But when we pray, we know that he will be working. And sometimes we can be praying for somebody and they'll absolutely refuse at that moment to respond to what God is stirring their hearts for doing. But we keep praying. When we see injustices, when we see poverty around us, we pray. 
But it's not just pray. We get involved. We get involved in their lives. We become the incarnational presence of the Lord in their lives, and we love them. If you look back in the first part of chapter 9, I mean, there's all these stories. In the first part, these friends have a paralytic friend who, who cannot walk, and so they bring him to Jesus. And they, and they know that if Jesus will simply speak to him and touch him, that he will be healed. And when Jesus looked at their faith, he responded. In verse 9, Jesus walks along and he sees this tax gatherer, this chief of sinners of the day. And, and he sees Matthew and he sees what Matthew could become and he loves Matthew and he invites Matthew to come and follow him. And the scripture tells Matthew followed him, invited Jesus to his home where he had other tax collectors and what the religious people called sinners of the day and they're in that home. And Matthew's life was so changed by this encounter with Jesus. He, he gave the money he had stolen as a tax collector. You remember he'd given it back. So Jesus touched his life. In verse 18, there's a ruler whose daughter had died. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you put your hand on her, she will live. Will you come with me? And you get this picture of Jesus again. He responds to this man whose heart is broken, whose daughter is dead, and he follows him home. And on the way, the scriptures tell us there's this woman who had this bleeding disease for 12 years. And she sees Jesus walking along and she says, man, if I can simply touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And so she sneaks up on Jesus and she touches his cloak, and, and Jesus feels his healing power flow out from him, and he turns around, and he sees this woman. And he has just such tender compassion on her, and she's healed. And then he goes to this house where all the mourners are for this young girl who's died. And he tells the mourners that she's not dead, she's asleep. Now, these are professional mourners. You know, they know when somebody's dead. And so when they come, uh, but he goes up there and, and, and touches her, and she, again, is healed. And then in verse 27, two blind men come. And they begin to cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus, again, he sees them. His eyes are open. His heart is overflowing with love. And he heals them. And then in verse 32, a demon-possessed man who is mute is brought to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he casts out the demon and the man speaks. See, what we see so often is in our lives that when you have need or somebody else has a need, it becomes the platform for God to show up and to show his love and to show his power. And as the cowled out ones, God invites us to be a part of seeing that happen. In Matthew 10, 5 through 8, it continues... It says, Jesus sent out his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Listen to what he said to them as he's sending them out. Because he gives us the same charge. He said, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, the confused people, right here in your neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom of God is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. I have a friend, uh, Guy Kasky. He's actually going to come and, and preach for us uh, the week before um, 
John begins his, his series the second week of June, and, and guys have been a good friend of mine for, for a lot of years. And, uh, he does a ton of training in, in all over the world now, and, and, and really targeting Houston, and, and how to make simple disciples, how to plant simple churches. And so he's part of a church planting movement in Ethiopia that is unbelievable, that's moving into Somalia. Uh, these principles God is using around the world to, to see literally movements. And John and I are going to invite him in to come uh, and share, but then we're going to do a series of, of just training uh, to begin to help us think about how is God moving around the world? How does he want to use us here? How can we impact, say, if we looked at those apartments across the street and began to say, God, we want the kingdom of God to come there. What if we gave ourselves this summer saying, man, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come to that place. How can we, as a community, can say, how can we go and do that? How can we love in that way? But but Guy has a saying, he says, you have to have a big enough vision to think small. You have to have a big enough vision. When God looked at the, Jesus looked at the harvest and said, what a huge harvest. The vision was big. But from there, he went very, very small. And in this charge to his disciples, he says, man, you don't have to go to a far off place, although God ultimately will send us to far off places, right? You don't have to go to the other side of the city, although God will call us to the other side of the city. You can start in your neighborhood, where you live, where you work, where you go to school. You can start there. But we have to have a big enough vision to think small. And I'd say also we have to have a big enough vision to think now. Mother Teresa once said, we can do not great things, only small things with great love. It's not how much you do, but how much you love. Put in, how much love you put into doing it. And then she said, small things done with great love will change the world. A lot of you have heard that. I think you, do you believe that? I believe that. How, how many people like have experienced the, like the, just the kindness of another person in your life in an unexpected way and what that does for you? When we love in simple ways, when we look for opportunities to extend the love of Jesus, and we go and we make a difference in people's lives. It can change them forever. They can experience the love of God in, in, in very unique ways. And so we need to think that. How, how can we think smaller and smaller? What would it look like this week if we focused on opportunities to do small things with great love? In Matthew 10, the last two verses I want to share and focus on before we close is this. He said, don't think you have to put, Jesus speaking, on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day, travel light. I love the way he translated. Let me read that again. This is the idea of have a big enough vision to think now. It's not something we have to do later. He says, don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day, travel light. I love that. We don't have to raise a lot of money. You don't need to have a lot of equipment. I don't think you need a lot of training. If you have Jesus, if you've experienced his love, you have 
what it takes to be used of Him. You know, I wonder, what would it be like if we lived a life worthy of this calling that we've received? A calling that is not easy. It's a calling that often causes us to leave our comfort. To give ourselves away, man, it always, isn't it? It always costs us. And the truth is in our lives, there's going to be all kinds of adversity. I know in my life, for these last five, there's been a lot of adversity, a lot of challenges. As we sought to pursue Christ, there's going to be that. So, so it won't just be about the accomplishment of that calling. But it's how we handle the adversity for the long haul. Not successfulness, but fruitfulness we should desire. And so even in the midst of adversity, we can love. We can look for opportunities to extend the love of God in small ways. We can begin to live out that idea that small things done with great love will literally change our world. Leonard Sweet said, leaders are not born or made, but summoned. Rise to the occasion. Telling Jesus, the Lord has called all of us in different ways to lead in our lives. To long for him to do something special. To extend his kingdom. It's not so much what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended when he made you. You know, there's part of that scripture I didn't point on, but Jesus talked to me. In, in chapter 9, he uses this, this idea that he said, because you've been treated generously, live generously. And so what we're really describing here is this, is this it's a generosity of life. And what excites me, I've already experienced that from so many of you. It is the DNA of this congregation. It is the DNA of White Oak. And I, my, my sense is, no matter what God has done in the past, these days are ahead of us are exciting. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Thrilled to walk with you. Thrilled to be loved by you and get to love you. And um, I'm so thankful that for the opportunity to share with you today. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we close our time out. And uh, I don't know what the Lord has stirred on your heart. But as we dream and plan together these days ahead, I, um, I want our prayer to be, God, we want to be truly the ecclesia that you desire us to be and to become. We want to be the called out ones. We want to be a part of what you are doing in this city and around the world. And we want to love well. Father, that is my prayer for my life. It's my prayer for my brothers and sisters. And uh, Lord, you have, uh, you have blessed Susan and I and our family for allowing us to be a part of White Oak. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to love them well. Um, and I pray that you would uh, continue to lead us, uh, 
give us a heart for your kingdom that just continues to grow. And teach us what it really looks like to love in small ways. To have a big enough vision to think very small. And Lord, that our love for you and our love for each other would continue to grow and to become all that you desire to be. Lord, I thank you for this day, for our mothers, for the chance to love and and to honor them. And Lord, we thank you for blessing us with our mothers. And and Lord, recognizing that this day is full of different emotions. And and for some, though, even as we talk about Mother's Day, it is a a day of, of grieving. For loss, um, for maybe memories. So God, even as we celebrate um, and rejoice, we also weep with those that, uh, Lord, who heart are broken because of what they've lost or what they've experienced. And uh, we pray for your grace and your mercy uh, to touch them and uh, to meet them at their point of need. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you today. Amen. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.